0: Hi guys, it's Ainge. Who was Jack the Ripper and has Scotland Yard been hiding his identity for 130 years? The question has always been the same. Every single true crime enthusiast asks the same question. and The question is, who exactly was Jack the Ripper? The case of Jack the Ripper has long been one of Britain's most talked about mysteries, but does this evidence, taken from the shawl of a victim, finally reveal the identity? Today, London's Whitechapel District is a popular destination for anyone visiting London. Travelers visit the gallery, take in the street art, and enjoy the many different food options that can be found in the area. In 1888, however, this was not the case. Whitechapel was plagued with economic neglect and was an overcrowded slum riddled with poverty. This would prove to be the perfect area for for Jack the Ripper to carry out his murders. While Jack the Ripper can be credited with many murders in the Whitechapel area, it is widely believed that there are five murders of a similar nature that can be credited without a doubt to the serial killer. Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly are all believed to have been Jack the Ripper's victims. The five women were all brutally murdered, incisions to the throat and abdomen were something of a trademark for Jack the Ripper, leaving no doubts as to why he quickly spread fear and panic throughout the area. Police worked hard to identify the killer, but to no avail. The case of Jack the Ripper was was different in a, in a sense that it was the first of its kind to create a a media frenzy. And when this media frenzy picked this case up, it had a huge role in spreading fear and panic over the murders. Suspects in the Jack the Ripper case have ranged from a barber to a butcher, a man locked away in a mental institution, to the Queen's own grandson. The biggest suspect the police suspected, in my opinion, in a series of articles in 1894, the Sun newspaper suggested There was a man named Thomas Cutbush and a man by the name of Kaminsky. Kaminsky wasn't suspected until several years later but what if I told you that Scotland Yard does know who the real Jack the Ripper is and they've known since 1894 but let's go back a little. In 2007 a man named Russell Edwards obtained a scarf said to be at the scene of one of rippers, one of rippers brutal murders. After he ob- obtained the scarf, he had the scarf DNA tested. And he checked it against some of the family members who were related to some of the suspects. In 2014, Edwards publishes a book called Naming Jack the Ripper. He kept the DNA results and methods under wraps, making it impossible to assess or verify the claims of Kaminsky as Ripper. Now the biochemists who ran those tests at the University of Liverpool and the University of Leeds have published the data in the Journal of Forensic Science. The researchers explain they subjected the shawl to infrared imagery phototometry testing. They also inspected the stains using a microscope to determine what made them under ultraviolet light. They found that one stain was possibly produced by semen. The researchers then vacuumed up what DNA fragments they could from the shawl, finding little modern contamination and many degraded short fragments consistent with DNA of that age. They compared the mitochondrial DNA in the sample, which is passed down from mother to child, to a descendant of Edo's, finding that it was a match. The team also found a match to a descendant of Kaminsky in other bits of mitochondrial DNA. All the data collected support the hypothesis that the shawl contains biological material from Katherine Eddowes, and that the mtDNA sequences obtained from the semen stains match the sequences of one of the main police suspects, Aaron Kaminsky, they write in a study. But as Adam at Science reports, the more detailed data still doesn't say enough. So Hansi Weissensteiner, a mitochondrial DNA expert, points out, mitochondrial DNA can't be used to positively ID a suspect. It can only rule out one, since thousands of other people could have the same mitochondrial DNA. Which makes sense, because as we all know, and you know I'm going to say it, mitochondrial is the powerhouse of the cell. Also, experts have critiqued the way the results were published, as some of the data is shown as graphs instead of actual results. Forensic scientist Walter Parson says the author should publish the mitochondrial DNA sequences. Otherwise, the reader cannot judge the result. Beyond the results, there is an even bigger obstacle afoot. The the provenance of the shawl. Mick Reed explains the shawl's origin story in Is Full of Problems. Was a shawl even picked up by the Metropolitan Police Officer Amos Simpson at the crime scene that night? Even if that were true, whether this scarf is the authentic one is up for debate. The cloth was previously dated to the Edwardian period from 1901 to 1910, as well as to the early 1800s, and could come from anywhere in Europe. Historian Hallie Rubenhold, author of the new book, The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper, has been among the Ripper experts to criticize the conclusions. There is no historical evidence, no documentation that links the shawl at all to Kate Eddowes. This is history at its worst, she wrote on Twitter in response to a headline that claimed The newly published research proved Jack the Ripper had been identified. While it seems there is no way we'll ever know for certain who the murderer was, Rubenhold makes the case that it doesn't matter at all that much. What she prioritizes are the identities of the women he murdered, whose names we have record of. Rubenhold's research dedicates a little space to the man who killed her subjects and the gory manner in which he did so. Instead. It shifts the focus of the Jack the, Ripper, of Jack the Ripper narrative to the lives, not deaths, of the victims. But is it really the Polish barber? The scarf that was tested? Was it quantified? Who was at the DNA testing? Those are the questions that I have. Do we have a sequence of events? And do we have a chain of custody for the evidence? Because if we don't have all of those things, we can never prove, never prove, that any of these DNA results are actually factual. And this is how Yellow Journalism perpetuates their claim. Now, I'm not gonna say that I don't like Yellow Journalism. I absolutely like Yellow Journalism. Of course I do. I love the STORIES. Because that's what they are. They're stories. They're fantastical stories. And they're meant to grab your attention. And I love it. But I digress. So. Does the DNA prove conclusively that a deranged Polish barber named Aaron committed these crimes? This claim has stirred up the emotions of professional and amateur sleuths who have been following the case for decades. Proving only the evidence is far from conclusive. Literally, we see articles like this twice a year, but this one has gone viral said P. Ryder, editor of Casebook, Jack the Ripper, an online database for ripperologists. In a newly titled book, naming Jack the Ripper, amateur historian Russell Edwards says he is certain that the DNA findings have solved the long, mysterious string of murders that terrorized the streets of London starting in 1888. This is his words in quotes, put the case to bed says Russell. We've done this. But the chain of evidence would never hold up in court. It's based on fresh DNA found on a centuries-old bloodstained scarf, linked to Catherine Eddowes. But what if I told you that the mystery of Jack the Ripper's identity was solved by the Metropolitan Police immediately after his rampage of killings? in the East End in 1888. So, latest research claims, Scotland Yard found out who he was after he committed suicide, drowning in the Thames, and closed the file on the Whitechapel murders according to academics. But the ongoing secrecy theory to protect his respectable family fueled theories down the years naming various suspects like deranged lunatics, craftsmen, surgeons, masons, royalty, and even the editor, the editor, of the East London Advertiser at the time. Most theories have been dismissed while the ripper industry went global in the 129 years since, even though the police could have drawn the line, according to authors Christine Ward and Jonathan Haysworth. They say the Ripper was a top in a top hat, a barrister and Oxford graduate named Montague John Druitt, who was homicidal towards defen- defenseless women. Druitt was posthumously disguised as a mad surgeon for public consumption to protect his respectable family. They say in their yet-to-be-published work, The Escape of Jack the Ripper, the discreet Upper-Crust Police Chief Sir Melville McNatton, ten years later, fooled most people and has inadvertently bamboozled researchers for a hundred years. Druitt was a medical student who dropped out and later went into law, but led a double life, prowling the streets they believe A blood-stained Druitt was arrested in Whitechapel, but deployed his pedigree as the nephew of a famous physician to bluff his way to freedom their book claims. He later confessed to his clergyman cousin, Charles Drewitt, and was hurriedly placed in a lunatic asylum. He had to flee, as the police dragnet was closing in on him. Drewitt took his own life a month after the last killing, when Mary Kelly's mutilated body was discovered by a rent collector at the lodgings in Dorset Street in the Spitalfields. Drewitt's corpse was later washed up in the Thames, the Shame Druitt family is said to have alerted Scotland Yarn that the Ripper was dead, while desperate to conceal their connection that could ruin them after his suicide. But his clergyman cousin broke ranks a decade later about the truth of the suicide, which led the police chief to give a different version to quash the troublesome vicar. The Escape of Jack the Ripper by Christine Ward and Jonathan Haysworth is being published in the spring by Amberly Publishing. Almost entirely throughout the investigation, the police received hundreds of letters of people claiming to be the killer. Of course, the majority of the letters could be cast aside as fraudulent, but one in particular stood out to the authorities as as potentially genuine. A letter addressed as coming from hell was received by George Lusk of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. The letter came with a small box containing half a human kidney, and it claimed that the other half of the kidney had been eaten. So, what do you think? Was Scotland Yard complicit in hiding the murderer's identity for 130 years? Or is historian Russell Edwards, or is historian Russell Edwards actually correct. Did that shawl actually belong to Catherine Edoes? Is that d- DNA truly the DNA of Aaron Kaminsky? Or is the identity really Thomas Cutpush? This is why I like Thomas Cutbush for, for the River Killings. So Thomas Cutbush was born in 1866 and he died in 1903. Um He was a contemporary suspect for the identity of the serial killer known as Jack the Ripper. He was accused by the British press shortly after the 1888 murders. He spent the rest of his days in detention in Broadmoor Hospital for inferring knife attacks against women. Thomas Cutbush was born in Kensington, a district about three miles from Whitechapel, and was 22 when the murders in East London occurred. He came from a respectable middle-class family, but his childhood was conflicted. Since his father left Thomas's mother, Kate, and young Thomas when he was only two, and he went to New Zealand where he married again. He was an only child. His mother, Kate, never married again. Kate and her unmarried sister, Clara, brought Thomas up. It has been suggested they were incredibly religious. Who who suffered from neurological disorders, but Kate doted on her only son. The young man showed serious behavioral problems in his initial job, from which he was almost immediately fired. In his second job, he was even worse. But infuriated, he pushed his old employer down the stairs. Once he lost that job, Cutbush began showing extremely idle and extravagant behavior. During the day he isolated himself in order to read medical books and during the night he wandered around Whitechapel jumping over the walls of houses in the neighborhood with astonishing speed and agility. He was obsessed with the idea that someone was slowly poisoning him. It was it is it's presumed that Thomas contracted syphilis because of his activities with prostitutes in 1888. And from there his behavior became even more eccentric and aggressive. Before being arrested for committing serious crimes, he had already been detained due to improper and violent acts. He was locked up in the asylum in Lambeth, but that lasted only four days, because Cutbush managed to escape by jumping the walls of the medical institution, once again displaying his dexterity. In 1891, he was convicted of stabbing two women in the buttocks, on two different occasions. In the middle of public roads, the victims were Florence Grace Johnson and Isabel Fraser Anderson, both from Kensington. Two years earlier, another man named Collicott perpetrated similar aggressions in the same area, and the police assumed that those attacks inspired Cutbush who acted in a similar way, found responsible for these crimes by a medical board, and the doctors diagnosed him as psychotic and dangerous. After that, the British justice sentenced him to confinement and medical treatment for an indefinite period, until the patient showed signs of recovery, which he never did. His confinement was arranged for an indefinite indefinite period of time, being placed at the order of her majesty. According to an expression that was used at the time to describe these cases, the the hospitalization was carried out in the Broadmoor Hospital. As of February 1894, the influential and sensational English newspaper The Sun, accused through a series of articles Thomas Cutbush of being responsible for the murders committed in London's East End, The public accusations did not give rise to the prosecution of criminal charges against the defendant, and police hierarchies even defended him, dismissing Cutbush, nothing more than able to commit a single type of crime, not murder. The inmate's most noted defender was Sir Melville McNatton, Chief Inspector of Scotland Yard. In a famous police memorandum, he emphatically rejected Cutbush's alleged guilt and instead related the names of three others outlining the reasons that led him to believe that those individuals were more plausible suspects to occupy the anonymous figure of jack the ripper sir melville also suggested that thomas was closely related to superintendent charles cutbush who committed suicide in 1896 a few years after he retired from the metropolitan police but in fact They were not related at all. In more recent times, the name of Thomas Cutbush returned as a possible suspect of being the infamous killer. In 1993, author A.P. Wolf made the initial publication with the essay, Jack, The Myth, A New Look at the Ripper. There the theory was offered that the police covered up the criminal's identity. The candidate proposed by the author precisely became this individual. It is argued that his anonymity as a murderer was achieved thanks to the police conspiracy, interested in not disclosing that the Ripper was a relative of a Scotland Yard chief. This hypothesis had followers who later gave their support in later works. However, given that there was no familial relationship between Thomas Hayes and Charles Cutbush, these works have led people away from any truth. So, this was a fun one, guys. Um, I have one more question, though. And I was talking to my husband about this last night. And I asked him, Do you really want to know who Jack the Ripper was? And of course he said yes, he does want to know. But does he really? Because once we saw this mystery, it will no longer be a mystery. So yes, for the victims' families, of course, of course, we want to know who who Jack the Ripper was. But I think a lot of times when we're we're going into cases like Jack the Ripper with so many conspiracy theories, we forget about the true victims. And what those victims went through is just Awful. but for the conspiracy theorists and the conspiracy theorist and all of us do we really want to answer the mystery and will this mystery even can it ever be solved even with a dna proof we still can't agree that the dna is factual so maybe we someday we can do a part 2 of of more jack the ripper suspects because this was This was interesting, and I will see you all again soon.